but about two years ago, I was raped. There's a lot of anger. We're not being manly enough. There are two ideas about safe spaces. My understanding of the world changed. And I felt numb. Are you a man or a mouse? I was alone. I couldn't bring myself to say it. I was lost. All I wanted was to be able to share my experience, what was happening to me with someone. Hey everyone, and welcome once again to Safe Places and Spaces for Men podcast. This is your male survivor resiliency leadership development coach, Thomas Edward, coming to you once again from Sacramento, California. All right, so it's been a windy uh, weekend, kind of high winds around here, but you know, we get them. So, uh, but you know, today was a kind of a balmy 72, so I don't know if that means it's going to be a really hot summer or not because this is only you know, February, but you know, we will wait and we will see what happens. Hey, I want to thank you guys so much for the email and just sharing uh, with me what these podcasts mean to you. Um, some of you um, have said that, you know, the one on trauma and freezing was just awesome to be able to understand some of the uh, neurobiology of, of what goes on in that podcast. You know what? I I can only thank my my good friend uh, Dr. David Lysak, who I just saw today. Uh, we had a chance to hang out. He was uh, in the area, so met him, and we had a chance and opportunity to just talk a little bit more. and And the great work that he's doing, um, you know, as he tramples around the country and around the world, you know, helping survivors and and just helping us to, I say, connect head and heart, because you know it, it really helps. Oftentimes, when I'm doing you know, the workshop retreats and stuff for guys to understand some of the neurobiology of trauma. And it helps them, like we said, to connect, hey, what happened to me with the physiological and biological things that were going on? And then, of course, being able to express and feel, you know, our emotions. And I'll talk a little bit more um, about that. Uh, for those that are interested, hey, the next, um, I think, workshop is coming up here pretty soon. So if you think you're at uh, stage two, go up to the website, coursesafeplaceformen.com. Click on that. It'll run you through so you can see what's involved. And if you decide, hey, you know what, I want to do stage two, or maybe you're at stage three or stage four, I mean, you can determine where you are at. I had someone actually contact me today, and they had... Um, they went through the stage zero and uh, they realized or started to um, come into some memories and things and realized that they actually were a victim of childhood sexual abuse. And so, you know, people always ask, well, what's my, you know, what's my next step after that? Okay, well, it just depends on, you know, where you're at. And so if you're dealing with, you know, the post-traumatic stress disorder syndrome and stuff, it'd probably be good to find yourself a therapist and start working on those things. If you've already kind of worked through those stages, then maybe you're at stage 1A, and so now you're trying to define what happened to you. That's up on the website, too. There's a course there, and then there's also um, defining the myths around sexual abuse. And how those usually work is you do uh, stages 1A and 1B, and if you are ready, <laughs> feel that you're ready, then what we do is we do the three-day live um, weekend retreat which are awesome uh david and i were talking about that um today and we were just talking about how you know when you get survivors when they walk through the door oftentimes one of the first reactions is it's just it's just tears and the tears are realizing that 
there are other men out there that are experiencing these things and just being in the place where we can all relate to what has happened to us. It, it is a beautiful thing to see and a beautiful thing to experience. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit um, here because someone asked me this question. So, you know, guys know that I try and let the questions uh, kind of guide where our podcasts are going. Um, but one came from someone who's kind of at the stage zero and moving into stage 1A. And they were like, well, why is it that, you know, as adult victims of, of childhood sexual abuse, especially for men, that we don't disclose? All right, so we're going to talk just a little bit about that. I'm going to share with you um, a little bit about well, maybe some of the reasons, at least, that I've experienced in my coaching and even some of my personal um, stories. One came up for me today as I was talking with with David, and I'm going to share a little bit of that um, with you. I'm just, you know what? I'm just going to be authentic, as, as you want to say, or a little transparency here. And I think it's really important. You know, a lot of times I say, well, Thomas, wait, you know, you've been coaching and doing this since 2001. So, right, why aren't you over this stuff by now? <laughs> you know, that's one thing we were talking about today. And the reality is, is that this is part of us, right? And so, you know, those that know part of my story that have been to the workshops and, you know, when I share that, okay, well, you know, my abuse involved seven to nine perpetrators, real male and, and female, you know, through a period of from six, you know, up to 15, 16, something like that. So uh, there's quite a few, you know, traumatic memories and things that are locked in the brain. So sometimes they come when they come, right? And it's like, wow, that's, that's another one. Um, so, you know, when you're thinking about this, just to realize that this is a journey, right? But there's also, there's also, a, I want to say, um, a happy side to it as, as you work through the things, right? And so, um, for me, the smile that I have on my face, you know, it's, it's because I took the time to actually work through the stuff and, and realizing it was okay to tell my story, but I had to do some work. I had to work through my story, uh, which is takes quite a bit of energy, but man, let me tell you, it's worth it. All right, so we only got 20 minutes here. So all right, so let's talk a little bit about when we're talking about why, as survivors, oftentimes or survivors, I like to say, if when we start working on our stuff, why it might be difficult for us to disclose, especially if you're, if you're at that, like I said, that stage, you know, zero, and now you're moving into one A. So the first thing I want to suggest, and I'm just going to throw this one uh, right out there, right out front, because it was something that I was talking about today. And sometimes it's because we feel a need to protect the perpetrator. You know, so when we're talking about, you know, being victims, you know, and just depending on who it is, you know, so for me, there were some of my perpetrators were actually part of my family, right? You know, and that's the thing, especially as children, I mean, we we care we 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 love those in in our families oftentimes and so we still care about the perpetrator and sometimes we want to protect him or or her and then also in addition that when we talk about that it could have been part of the grooming process you know so perpetrators often work to you know separate the child or the adolescent from the parents and their peers right and kind of fostering this um the sense that the child of that, you know, that they're special or there's, they're really special when they're around this person who's actually grooming them. You know, I've, um, 
been coaching oftentimes and guys will say, yeah, you know, this person, they would shower me with gifts or we'd do special things. And, you know, I didn't realize that this special kind of attention and love that they were giving me was actually grooming me for this relationship. And so then sometimes as survivors, it's difficult for us you know, as adults, when we're looking back and it's like, why do I still have, you know, feelings for this person, you know, who betrayed me, who uh, abused me? Well, oftentimes that's 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 normal. OK, and that's because oftentimes we might still be uh, attached, you know, and feel that we might even need to protect the perpetrator. I know for me, as I was sharing with David uh, today and, and I'm um, <laughs> I'm still a little bit kind of uh, misty-eyed here and in tears and, you know, because I, I shared with, you know, with David, for me, one of my issues was, it's like I, I was protecting the perpetrator to protect somebody else, right? So there was someone else in the family and in, in this case, it, it, it's, it's, my, it's my mother, right? And, you know, I just remember we were sitting down and we were watching whatever this TV series or news series, and, and it was talking about abuse, whatever, and abused children. And I remember my mom, she made this statement. I mean, here I am, I don't know, seven or, or something like that. And I remember her just saying the words that, you know, oh, God, I, you know, I would just die if I were to learn that something like that happened to one of my boys, right? And which was, you know, interesting because there I am sitting there hearing that, right? And, you know, during that time, I'm one of those boys that was, you know, actually being abused. And I just couldn't, I, um, I couldn't bring myself to, to say anything, you know, to her. And I just think of, you know, all those years of, of holding the secret, not wanting to hurt her. So actually protecting the perpetrator because I didn't want to hurt her, you know. And so there's just a myriad of of reasons oftentimes, but one is the need to protect the perpetrator or maybe there's someone we want to make sure that they're not hurt. And just think about that. You know, if that's your case for you, just think about that responsibility that we're taking on as children. You know, sometimes, you know, when I think about children, we're just so advanced and we, we do these these little things with these little brains that we have that are just remarkable, right? So there's that little child there just hearing those words and wanting to protect someone when they're the ones that needed to be um, protected. So maybe you're protecting the perpetrator. And, and if that's the case, you know what? That's where you're at. You know, as I was talking with, um, with David and he just said something to me and that's why he's a special friend. And I just, I just love him as I was sharing that because I, I, I don't share that very, very easily, right? Because it's, it's something that, you know, I'm still working through, you know, myself and, you know, with my, my mom and her age and stuff where she is, you know, I'm trying to weigh, my goodness, you know, should I say anything now? Is it, you know, is it just for me? Is it for, you know, those different type of type of things? And we discussed that a little bit. And then he said something to me. He said, you know what? I admire you. He says, I, 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 I admire <laughs> you, you know, that you were willing to, if you want to say, take on whatever that burden just to, if you want to say, save your mom or help your mom. And that just, and that just meant a lot to me to, to, to even hear that. You know, we're all in different places and we all make the decisions 
just based upon what's going on for us in those in that time. But that's one of the reasons, maybe one of the reasons is we need to, of course, protect the perpetrator. Another reason oftentimes that we don't disclose, of course, is, is denial. And this is when we're talking about the whole, if you're in stage zero, um, moving maybe more towards stage 1A, as we call it. You know, sometimes as victims of childhood sexual abuse that we actually deny that we were abused. Now, it's interesting because, you know, when I think about um, my story and because the abuse was pretty, pretty intense, um, you know, I talked about and I'll share some of it with you guys because um, I actually re recorded me on the video. And so when I um, get it, I'll actually put it up for you guys that are part of the Safe Places for Men family and share it with you. There's a lot of things in, in there um, and it was hard, but it was also good. But, you know, oftentimes we, we deny, too. And I know for me, if you were to ask me, um, you know, before I started having the flashbacks and memories and stuff, well, well hey, you know, what happened? Uh, what was your childhood like from ages 6 to 15? I, it would be really difficult for me to tell you that. It would be just like a blank spot, right? I can remember things kind of up till 6, and then, you know, kind of during when the abuse is taking place, it's like, uh, did I really have a life or did I not have a life or my brain was doing whatever it was to to pr protect me. But like I said, in that case, if you would have asked me, I, w I would have definitely, you know, <laughs> denied many of those things until they actually came um, to memory later. So dissociation, right? So it's the denial, of course, is a defensive mechanism. And it, oftentimes it's designed, you know, to prevent us from facing those things that are too painful for us to be able to face at that time. I remember, um, and I was even, I was sharing this with David today when I was working on my master's in psychology and, and counseling. And so the teacher gave us, you know, each different reports that we had to do and, and abnormal psych. Mine was dissociative disorders. And so there I am, I'm sitting there and I'm giving my presentation and I'm talking about dis dissociative disorders. And it was almost like I was actually dissociating while I was actually giving the report because I made this statement and when I made this statement, I was um, using a character, but I was really talking about myself. And I said, yeah, you know, it's like this and numbing the pain as if, you know, you had been abused by this certain person, but your brain wasn't really ready to accept it yet. So therefore, and then I realized I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm sharing <laughs> right now for some reason, who, of course, who was my abuser and what was actually going on with me. Um, and I don't know if a lot of people picked up on it on the story, but at that time, my brain just decided, okay, we're going to put this out here. It was, it was kind of, it was strange. It was different. Um, but that's kind of just where it was. One of the other reasons oftentimes um, as male survivors we don't disclose is because confusion. Okay, confusion. So being, the, you know, victim of childhood sexual abuse, we're oftentimes um, confused. Okay, and so, like we said, you know, did it happen? Did it not happen? There's a lack of an understanding, you know, and, and especially uh, for us as men, if during the sexual abuse, you know, there was any type of arousal, um, there was any type of um, ejaculation or anything like that or orgasm, then we're totally confused, right? So we're like, what's what's going on? And especially let's just say it was traumatically painful, but then yet at the same time, 
because of the orgasm, it felt like, wait a minute, but that actually felt good. I remember I was doing um, a, a conference. This was in uh, Pennsylvania. And this was right after the Sandusky, um, I'm going to say debacle or scandal. And so they called me to fly me out to Pennsylvania to talk to a group of um, abuse survivors to just try and help them because they were being, of course, triggered by some of the things that were going on with that case. And I remember one of the things coming up, at least for the male survivors, was this whole confusion of uh, some were sharing that, well, I don't, I don't know what happened. It's like the abuse happened, it was painful, but then at the same time, um, because there was arousal or ejaculation or Right. It felt pleasurable. So they're like, it was just totally confusing. And there was this um, uh, what she's a forensic. She was a brain, whatever, neurologist. And she was just out explaining how in the brain that she was saying the distance between pain and pleasure is just minute. And she says there are cases and instances where the brain where um, how would she say the threshold of the pain actually jumps she's like she says over to the other side and actually becomes pleasurable I'm like whoa that kind of threw me for a loop um when, when I heard that and so um you know it's like one of those things who sang that song John Cougar Melly can't hurt so good and that's kind of what she was saying in in her own language when she was talking about this and giving this presentation and oftentimes that's where the confusion can actually come from because of the sexual stimulation that's taking place. And then there is, you know, sexual um, arousal that's taking place. But then yet, you know, it's, it's hurtful. So just think about that in a young brain. All those things firing and going off. Well, an adult brain would be confused. So just think about a child's brain. How confusing is that going to be? One of the other reasons I think that we often don't disclose or I think I'm gonna say in coaching that I've seen over the years and this is really the uh, the big one and it's 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 the shame okay you know being victimized and there's just the stigma of course especially as male survivors that comes along with the sexual abuse you know does it mean that I'm a man that there was another man that dominated me that perpetrated me that violated me you know the shame because we we feel helpless that we couldn't we couldn't control the situation we couldn't control the other person um, we were humiliated and it's it's man it, it's just difficult because what I've noticed I say over the years that this seems to be one of the biggest issues and not just for not disclosing but for even working through the issues. And I always call it the shame imprint when I'm working with, um, with guys. And I think of it, it's like this, um, it's like a filter. And it's like, because of that shame imprint, when I look through those, if you want to say glasses or filters, I'm looking through everything with that shame imprint. And that distorts whatever you see on the other side. And so oftentimes when we're thinking about it doesn't have to be an overwhelming feeling of shame, which sometimes it is when we first start out. But I've noticed that sometimes it's even just these little subtle ideas. And so it's this idea of feeling bad, this idea of feeling dirty, this idea of feeling damaged or corrupted in some way.
the shame. And then thinking that, well, maybe, you know, um, I guess what actually feeds into that shame, but then also self-blame, right? And so that's another reason that we often don't disclose because we're like, well, was it my fault? And this even goes to, I, I want you to think about that. It's hard for us sometimes as adults when we're trying to reason this out and look back at hindsight, you know, well, why didn't I yell? Why didn't I scream? Why, why didn't I, you know, punch the person here or kick them or, or do those different type of things? And that's one of the reasons to me that understanding that trauma and neurobiology is important. And so if you understand that the first thing that your body does is actually freeze as opposed to, you know, the fight, flight, those different type of things, uh, fighting is actually the last resort. It's the last resort. But freeze is the first thing and your body just freezes. And so oftentimes what I find as survivors, we're blaming ourselves for that freeze. Why didn't I, why didn't I do something? And this can really be difficult when we're talking about stigma and the way that other people even view sexual abuse, because they'll even ask us or say to us, well, why, why didn't you do something? Well, I would have, look, when you hear people saying, saying that this is what I want you to re remember is this, is that they can say whatever they want to but they'll never know until they're actually put in the actual situation, right? So remember that. People can say whatever they want to, but until they're put in the actual situation and see how they will actually respond or behave, right? I'm going to say all bets are off, okay? All right, man, the time really goes by, <laughs> by fast. All right, uh, so let's see. Let's talk about one more. And I think it's one that we all know about, and it's a, it's a legitimate one when we're thinking about this, but it's simply this, fear, right? And so there are many legitimate reasons for us as survivors, victims, or thrivers to not say anything, to not say that we were sexually abused. So like we said, well, maybe one might be threatened. I remember working with one individual and his sexual abuse took place from like age, uh, I think he was like 12, 12, 12 or 13, all the way up into his 20s when he was married, right? And that's how intimidating this person and threatening this person was. So he had even groomed this individual to the point where they're so afraid of actually losing their life that he wouldn't say anything, right? And then he finally, he came and he started, <laughs> I remember his words though. Uh, so he started coaching with me, he started coming to, to the workshops and he's like, Thomas, he's like, um, he's like, you're, you know, you're helping me to be too confident here. And, and so it was at, you know, one of the events he actually started sharing with um, his family, the person, they were still in the family and um, they supported him. And so, they banned that other person, you know, from any family events and then reported uh, the person, right? And so he was so glad that he came to, to, to the workshop. And you, you can actually hear um, his voice, I think it is, when you listen to the, um, the testimonies. I think it's on stage, stage two. Yeah, and he, he talks, talks a little bit about that. But yeah, just, just being afraid, right? Fear, uh, threatened. The big one that I run into oftentimes is because we are afraid that we are not going to be believed. And I remember when I started my journey, that was one of them. And it was because 
there was just so so much horrific um, trauma and events that took place in my sexual abuse history that people will be like come on there's no way you know that that could happen right until you know in some of the cases like oh well let me show you some of the scars right and they be like wow but that's one of the reasons oftentimes we don't disclose because we believe that we're not going to be believed or people oftentimes may not believe us because they just they've come from a place where they haven't experienced anything like that and so they don't think that it's possible or that it exists and then another reason we're afraid of the consequences right if we if we let the secret out um you know, it was interesting. Now, I've been doing this since 2001, and here it is 19 years later. And yet when I went to talk with, um, you know, David today, because we were actually recording, we were putting this on video. I said, David, I said, I can't, I can't believe this. I mean, here it has. It's been all these years, and still right now at this moment, there's just little ripples of fear running through me, thinking like, okay, who's going to see this? How are they going to judge me? And he's like... Uh, I know because I <laughs> I know it's going to be okay and uh, we were just talking about yeah it's like those are the things that he's like that's just part of our history and that's why it's important for us to work through it all right guys I hope that that helps you just a little bit like I said I know man there's tons more and that's why the work the workshops and things are great and doing the online courses are great uh, could you get more information? So like I said, if you're interested, go up to the website, safeplaceformen.com. Check it out there. You know, if you're ready to start maybe some of the online courses, um, that's great. If you're ready maybe to do, okay, I'm going to do the online courses and then come to the three-day live event, you know, uh, workshop, that's great also. But here's the one thing I want you to know before I end this podcast. And it was something that I shared um with David today when we were talking about you know what what helps start pulling you out because uh, I was about to take that step I was about to I was about to leave this world and I just told him I said there was one person in my life who said something that I needed to to hear and that person said to me said man all these things that happened to you wasn't fair it wasn't right and I'm so horrified that you were treated that way but here's one thing you need to know. And this is what he said to me. You need to know that I love you. Wow. Those were powerful words for me. And it took a while because, you know, love had a whole different meaning, especially when we're talking about abuse. But I trusted that person and I believed that person. And it was that phrase that helped me to hold on to just one more day. And it was the next day that brought a new world. If that's you out there, this is what I want you to know. And you're like, wait, wait, Thomas, you can't. You don't even know who I am. I know. But if you've experienced this, I know what it feels like. And I know what it feels like to be in that place, to feel like you're alone. To be in the place where, what I say, where the pain trumps your values. And that's where I was, right? I didn't, you know, they're like, how, how, how could you do that? How could you even think about possibly taking your life? I'm like, because the pain had trumped my values. So I've been there and I know what that feels like. And so that's why I want to say to you, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, you need to know that the other person on the end of this mic loves you. 
take that for whatever it, whatever it is, whatever that means for you. But if that means, you know what, I think I'm going to hold on just another day so I can send that email to Thomas so I can get a response, so I can start the conversation, then do it. Then do it. All right, guys, till next time, safeplaceformen.com. Remember, we're turning that trauma into triumph.